If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the September 1st edition of I Am Are You, the nation's longest running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio news magazine. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Steve Pride. Tonight we'll catch a viral YouTube video. Travel to India with our sapphic nomads. Get an update from former Vikings punter Chris Cluey. Talk to two women for whom orange is both the new and the old black. And meet a couple of the old dogs behind the hit web series Old Dogs and New Tricks. I hear they're good looking, are they? I don't know. We'll have it's to radio. See. But first, the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Wendell Jones. And I'm Carol Myers. With Newswrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending August 30th, 2014. Ecuador's President Rafael Correa announced this week that same-gender couples will be able to enter into civil unions in the tiny northwest South American country starting on September 15th. Lesbian and gay couples who do so will be entitled to the same rights as heterosexual couples in legally recognized marriages or civil unions. Ecuador's 2009 constitution bans civil marriage for gay and lesbian couples, but also provides for the legal recognition of committed, unmarried, heterosexual relationships. Correa's announcement expands that recognition to same-gender couples. The president was unequivocal, telling the South American television network Telesur that if someone is turned away by a government employee, that employee will be dismissed for denying constitutional rights. Correa also promised that all Ecuadorians in civil unions, regardless of the partner's sexual orientation or gender, would be able to have their civil union status reflected on their national identification cards. Only heterosexual married couples have been able to include that information until now. Among other niceties, the cards allow access to many government benefits, some of which are specific to partners in civil unions. This week's announcement stems from a summit between LGBT activists and the president on August 18th. While it's not marriage equality in the heavily Roman Catholic country, and same-gender couples can't adopt, both of which Correa has staunchly opposed, Ecuadorian trans and feminist activist Diane Rodriguez told Think Progress that opening civil unions to same-gender couples is like giving us full citizenship. Attorneys for three same-gender couples at the heart of the challenge to the U.S. state of Utah's law denying such couples access to civil marriage have joined the state's Republican Attorney General, Sean Reyes, in asking the U.S. Supreme Court to review the case. The 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals agreed in June with an earlier district court ruling that the ban violates the federal constitution. Reyes filed the state's appeal with the high court on August 5th. 
More than a thousand lesbian and gay couples legally tied the knot during the several days following that district court decision in December, after the judge refused to put his ruling on hold. At the state's request, the Supreme Court finally put a stop to those marriages in early January. The Tenth Circuit subsequently ordered Utah to legally recognize those couples who'd already married. But the state appealed that ruling, so those marriages remain in legal limbo, pending a final resolution of the issue. Attorneys for Virginia and Oklahoma have also asked the high court justices to review cases overturning their bans on civil marriage for same-gender couples. The Supreme Court is not obligated to hear any appeals, but most observers predict that, if nothing else, the sheer volume of marriage equality rulings around the country will force justices to hear at least one of those cases, possibly as soon as next year. In what may have been the most lopsided hearing so far in a federal appeals court considering state marriage bans, a three-judge panel of the Chicago-based 7th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals this week all but annihilated arguments to maintain the bans by attorneys for the states of Indiana and Wisconsin. Led by Reagan appointee Richard Posner, all three judges challenged the logic of virtually every argument each attorney advanced to defend their law. The best interests of children were a major focus in each almost hour-long hearing. Indiana and Wisconsin lawyers argued that keeping marriage exclusively heterosexual was necessary to encourage responsible procreation. Attorneys for the plaintiff couple stressed the benefits to children headed by same-gender couples if civil marriage is open to their parents. Coupled same-gender parents and their children made news in three countries this week. Pink News reported that a gay couple in Switzerland has become the first to be legally recognized as the parents of a child. Even though surrogacy is illegal in Switzerland, the couple, living in a Swiss civil partnership, is now recognized as the legal parents of the child born to a surrogate mother. She and her husband legally abdicated their parental responsibilities. The Swiss Justice Department challenged the action of the local registry office in court. The ruling recognizing the two men as fathers partly acknowledged the concerns of the Justice Department by requiring the genetic parentage of the child to be included on his birth certificate. The Justice Department could still appeal the ruling. A non-biological parent in Italy has become the first in that country to be allowed to legally adopt the child of her lesbian partner. Italy's La Repubblica newspaper reported that the now five-year-old girl was born to one of the two women after she underwent fertility treatment abroad and that the child was already living with a couple at their home in Rome. The juvenile court ruling was the first in Italy to allow second-parent adoption by a same-gender partner. A non-biological lesbian parent in Colombia has also become the first in her country to be allowed to adopt her partner's offspring. According to an Associated Press report, Anna Lederman gave birth to two children via artificial insemination. Her longtime partner, Veronica Botero, however, had no parental rights over the children, now ages four and six. The couple petitioned for second parent adoption rights after the first child was born. While the constitutional court ruling applies to only couples where one member is a biological parent, legal experts say it could indicate the high court's willingness to extend adoption rights to all same-gender couples in Colombia. In other news, Berlin's long-serving out-mayor Klaus Wowereit announced this week that he'll be stepping down in December after leading Germany's capital city for the past 13 years. The popular Social Democrat was credited with making his city a major international tourist destination, calling Berlin poor but sexy, and attracting young travelers in particular from around the world. However, huge cost overruns and charges of corruption and shoddy planning that have delayed the opening of Berlin's Willy Brandt Airport, scheduled for 2010 but still under construction, have seriously eroded Wowereit's support, and he decided to quit two years before another election was due. 
I go voluntarily, and I am proud of my contribution to the positive development of the city, he said. After some 40 years in Berlin politics, he thanks city residents for giving him the chance to make a career out of my biggest hobby. Boverite famously dismissed worries about his sexuality being a barrier to winning office prior to his election in 2001 by saying, I am gay, and that's okay. He's been with his partner, Jorn Kubicki, a neurosurgeon, since 1993. Elsewhere, 24-year-old Patricia Urena Rodriguez, Miss Spain in both the 2008 and 2013 Miss Universe pageants, came out as a lesbian last week through an Instagram post, making her what's believed to be the first openly lesbian international beauty queen. The picture, captioned Romeo and Juliet, shows Rodriguez in an intimate moment with girlfriend Vanessa Klein, a Spanish DJ and singer. Rodriguez tweeted her thanks for all the support she's received. But as she wired noted, Rodriguez may well be the last Miss Spain winner for a while, since the company running the Miss Universe competition filed for bankruptcy in 2013. And finally, the coming out of a second beauty queen in as many weeks has truly international implications. The Rose of Tralee is a competition in which Irish communities around the world send a beauty queen to the finals in Ireland's County Kerry. This year's winners, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania resident Maria Walsh, came out as lesbian this week in an interview with the Irish Sun newspaper. The 27-year-old discussed the support she was received from her family, saying that, I told my parents and they were supportive, as I knew they would be. I'm not ashamed of my sexuality by any means, she said. The Rose of Tralee is about celebrating women's intelligence, careers, and their volunteer work, she added. The question of sexuality never came up. To me, being gay is normal. It's natural. Rose of Tralee Executive International Chairman Anthony O'Gara said the festival was delighted to have chosen Ms. Walsh as this year's Rose, noting that she is a wonderful person, an attractive, intelligent woman, and a very worthy winner who happens to be gay. But as blogger Joe My God noted, the revelation by the reigning rose might be a bit of a problem for the ancient order of Hiberians, organizers of New York City's annual St. Patrick's Day Parade. The Roman Catholic Church-affiliated group continues to ban any LGBT-identified contingent from marching in the world's largest and oldest such celebration. Traditionally, like every prior winner of the Rose of Tralee Festival, dubbed a global celebration of Irish culture, Walsh is supposed to be feted and fawned over during next year's St. Patrick's Day season in New York. It could be interesting to see how the parade sponsors greet the now-out lesbian beauty queen. That's News Wrap for the week ending August 30th, 2014. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap was produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Carol Myers. And I'm Wendell Jones. You can hear all 30 minutes of the latest This Way Out, including more news wrap on free podcasts at thiswayout.org, on iTunes, or Stitcher Radio On Demand. Also on the program this week, a U.S. appeals court scoffs at bad breeder behavior-based inequality, starring Indiana Solicitor General Thomas Fisher, Judges Richard Posner, Anne Claire Williams, and David Hamilton of the 7th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, plaintiff's attorneys Camilla Taylor and Kenneth Falk, BuzzFeed's Chris Geidner, and Freedom to Marry founder Evan Wilson. Daniel Ashley Pierce, a 20-year-old from Georgia, he came out as gay, you know, last October. At the time, his father and his stepmother seemed okay, but it boiled and it boiled and boiled. And finally, things took a turn for the worse on Wednesday when he found himself part of what he described later as a delayed intervention involving his father, his stepmother, and his grandparents. He captured the entire thing, as everyone does. As one does. 
on camera. And although the video portion is mostly blurry feed, the audio is so disturbing that in the past few days it has been viewed by over 5 million people, and a crowdfunding account to help with his living expenses so far has raised over $90,000. And while the reaction of the world has been just extraordinary, the homophobia of his family is still way too common. People are like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. This happens every damn day, even in 2014. Did you just say... And I've edited the language per FCC guidelines, but be forewarned, it's still strong stuff. Daniel, I want to tell you before I say anything else that I love you. Now, I know that you're not going to believe that, but it is true. Oh, I believe it. And I have known that you were gay since you were a tiny little boy. Mm-hmm. That so you would know at this point it's not a choice. And you have made a choice. I have Evidently choice. from what you've told your daddy. I have not made a choice. I have not made a choice. I have been from the moment I come out of my mother's uterus, I have been that way. Probably long before I come out of her no. uterus. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, you can deny it all you want to, but I believe in the Word of God and God creates nobody that way. It's a path that you have chosen to choose. Mm -hmm. All right, you believe it the way you want to believe it because I cannot change that. This is the way I'll put that part. I have taken basic biology and psychology uh -huh. and it's determined within the first six weeks of birth what your personality is going to be and that's part of your personality and you cannot change it and it's a scientific proof, mm -hmm. not, well, not go, based off you of You go by all the scientific stuff you want to, I'm going by the Word of God. Well, scientific proof trumps the Word of God. No, it doesn't, in my opinion. Well, in my opinion, it does, because there's scientific proof. That's well, why it's called right, scientific you, proof. Okay, I'm not going to argue that point with you, but I'm going to tell you. Since you have chosen that path, we will not support you any longer. You will need to move out and find wherever you can to live and do what you want to, because I will not let people believe that I condone what you do. Okay. Well, I, I will be out by Thursday night at midnight. How about that? All right. I'll be completely out, and you'll never, ever have to see me again. If that's the way you choose it, that's fine. No, that's not what I'm choosing. I'm doing what you're telling me to do, and you're disowning me. So um, that proves how much of a person you are. Okay. In fact, can I live in your basement since it's your house and you're my mother? Really? So all of that support that you told me about... Oh, I support you. I don't support what you do. And we don't support I don't your habit. What you do. No. And I have a lot of friends that are gay, but they're friends. Mm -hmm. See, they're not related to me. That's not what you told me that day on the couch. That doesn't seem very motherly to me. And to summon your dad and telling him that he's a racist and that your dad didn't raise you, your dad's gone to bat for you for the last 20 years of your life. That man's put a roof over your head. He's put food on your table. That's, that, that's not no. raising. You well, say you that many none things. of these people have raised you. You're full of shit. And you told me on the phone that you made that choice. You know you wasn't born that way. You know damn good and well you made that choice. You know that this man has done everything he can to raise you. And you told me right on that damn phone that that was a choice you made. He didn't need to blame himself. So don't fill these people full of bullshit, Daniel. You're twisting my words. You are you a complete. Everybody you are words. a completely different person. Let me tell you something. No, you little no, 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 you're not gonna no, hit me. No.
You son of a bitch! Off me! Get off me! Let me tell you something! She's the one that's out! I'm going! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Get off of me! What's wrong with you? Bring it! What's wrong with you? You don't tell lies on me, you little piece of shit! I did it! I trusted you! You've never trusted me! You should have more shit with me than anybody! Come here! I'll beat your ass. I'm playing you as my own mother. Listen. Listen. Check this out. What is wrong with you people? No, what's wrong with you? You! No, what is wrong with you people? What's wrong with you? No. You run your mouth on Facebook about me. I've done everything in the world. Right everything in the world for you. I haven't run my mouth about the you hell at all. you haven't! What if tell I, me! What if I right said? Actually, I go, go get it. You get Show it. me. Pull it up on Facebook and you show I it. don't have you on Facebook. Well, don't get I'm, You're a disgrace. I'm not a disgrace. Yeah, you are. No, I am not. Unfortunately, I'm sorry to say that you are. Well, <clears throat> if that wasn't a Del Shore show, I'm sure it's going to be soon. I want to reassure everyone, though, that Daniel did move out and he is staying with his aunt. And he has a boyfriend and the crowdsourcing campaign has raised over $90,000 to help him reboot his life. He's already said he's giving a lot of that, though, to organizations that support homeless kids because homeless LGBT kids are mm. overrepresented in the homeless population. It's true. It's true. Yeah, when you see all those kids on the street, that, that's what most of them are, and that's such a shame. And it's not, it's not at all uncommon. I mean, that's the worst part about this is you think, oh, they're so... They're so excessive. They're so violent. Who would do that? And the answer is a great many people would do that. Let's lighten this up. I was a little Shall stunned we? to see that Vicki Lawrence from Mama's Family is his grandmother. <laughs> yeah, well, can't lighten this crap up because it is oh, too real and horrible. Hmm. Let's move on. Our sapphic nomads, Katie Cook and Maggie Young, are finally back from India, and they filed this very special report. It's been a while since our last sapphic nomads report. And though we've been back home in the United States for a few months now, we still have some great interviews to share. This episode is the first of our four-part series from India. In the past year, India has experienced a number of historic advances as well as discouraging setbacks within the LGBT movement. In December 2013, the Supreme Court of India reinstated Section 377, a colonial-era law which criminalizes, in its words, sexual activities against the order of nature. This ruling was a major setback, since homosexuality had been decriminalized in 2009 when the High Court of Delhi declared Section 377 unconstitutional. With the 2013 reversal of this ruling, Lesbians, gays, and bisexuals once again became criminals in Indian society. Then, in April of 2014, the balance tipped towards equality on a different front when the Supreme Court of India made a landmark ruling granting legal status to third-gender individuals. As reported by the BBC in April, the court is quoted as saying, Recognition of transgenders as a third gender is not a social or medical issue, but a human rights issue. Transgenders are also citizens of India. The court went on to state that 
The spirit of the Constitution is to provide equal opportunity to every citizen to grow and attain their potential, irrespective of caste, religion, or gender. Despite the whiplash between major setbacks and groundbreaking advancements in the past year, the LGBT movement in India continues to work for equality. Leading the fight are a number of LGBT rights organizations throughout India. In this first segment of our four-part series from India, we talk to Shruta, an HIV-AIDS programs training officer for Hamsafar Trust, an NGO based in Mumbai. Shruta asks that we only use her first name. Set up in 1994, Hamsafar Trust became India's first registered charity working on LGBT issues, and over the years it has become one of the largest and most active promoters of LGBT equality in India. When we sat down with Shruta, we asked her what the current situation is like for LGBT people. In India, I would say that things are a little stuck as of now. If you look at things culturally, things were a lot more accepting a while ago, like the Hijra community, that's basically a religious cult of transgenders. They have been a part of the community and the society and have been respected for a very long time. But what's happened is since colonialism happened, you know, since the British came to India, we had the section 377 that was framed that did not criminalize homosexuality in particular, but criminalized anal sex. And as years passed, the British left India, we had our freedom, but Section 377 still stayed on. And that was used by the lawmakers to harass the gay community. Till a very long time, people weren't aware of lesbian issues. They did not realize that something as lesbians existed in the society. So a while ago, we had a filmmaker who made a mainstream commercial movie on lesbians and when that movie was released we had a lot of right-wingers you know come out there and say that oh you know what we don't have lesbians in our country and there were people out there who said wait a minute I'm a lesbian you know how can you speak on my behalf so for a very long time I would say things were a lot under wraps no one wanted to talk about it what happened after that was the HIV epidemic so at that point of time, the focus was not much on gay rights, but then gay rights got a push because gay men are largely impacted by HIV. So we had an NGO that came up and filed affidavit against Section 377 saying that it's not good, it's going to affect public health interventions, it's going to impact the gay community. And that's how the whole LGBT scenario got a push. People are still coming to terms with the fact that we exist, but I would say things are slowly and steadily improving. Since gender inequality seems to dominate so many headlines coming out of India, we asked Shruta if she felt there was gender discrimination within the queer movement there. I would answer that question in affirmative. Yes, there is gender inequality. You do see a lot of gay men out there, but if you have to interview someone who's, say, female-bodied, you would have to take a lot of time out. I mean, the gay movement in India got its push only when the HIV-AIDS epidemic came up. It, it's not a very good thing to say, but that's what kind of pushed the movement ahead, in, in my opinion at least. Now, lesbian women are not that affected by HIV AIDS. It's something that I would say disproportionately impacts gay men, which is why all the funding came in for the gay, the transgender and the bisexual men. On the other hand, there was nothing for lesbian women because till today, if you actually go out there and look whether there are any studies done on lesbian women in India, none. So no one really can, can say as to what are the issues that impact the lesbian, the bisexual women and the trans men. 
because there is no funding, there is not much interest in what happens here. So that's what I feel triggered the initial inequality and then of course the gender bias. I mean, you might still be fine with a gay son because at the end of the day he's male-bodied, he's out there. But if it's an unmarried lady staying at home, the society is going to raise questions, ask you as to why is your daughter not married, what is she still doing at your place? You know, the fact that women are at a receiving end, are at greater threat in the society as compared to men. Finally, we asked Shruta what she sees for the future of the LGBT movement in India. Gay marriages are great. I mean, adoption is great. But it's not going to work in a system where people are so phobic that they don't even think of you as someone mentally stable. You know, that's one thing I would want to see just go out of the current thinking system is the way people look at LGBT, the way people make fun, the way people think of them as someone abnormal. That's one thing I would want to see just vanish if possible. No stigma, no discrimination, equal rights that, that protect you at work, you know. This concludes the first of our four-part series from India. To learn more about our Sapphic Nomads project, please visit our website at www.nomaddocumentary.com. Till next time, this is Maggie Young with fellow Sapphic Nomad Katie Cook, reflecting on our time in Mumbai, India. Thank you very much, Sapphic Nomads. That was only part one of four parts. So tune in next week for part two. And now, as promised, we're going to talk to a good friend of ours that we haven't talked to in about six months, Chris Cluey. Are you there, Chris? Yeah, how's it going? For people that don't remember what happened, because we're gays, we get confused, <laughs> catch us up on what originally started all this before we talk about how it ended in the settlement. Well, initially it started with the Big Bang, and then the universe formed uh, over the next... <laughs> not not that far back. Years. No, no, really. <laughs> oh, a, l a little more recent? All right. Um, basically, during, uh, during my time with the Minnesota Vikings, my last year with the team, I started speaking out on uh, same-sex rights, um, more specifically the marriage amendment that was going to happen in Minnesota, where um, Minnesota was trying to pass a constitutional amendment that would ban same-sex marriage. I was like, that doesn't really seem like a good idea. I don't think you should enshrine discrimination in the state constitution. So I uh, spoke out against it, and I wrote a letter that got published on Deadspin that went viral, and a lot of people read it. One of the phrases that people latched onto was lustful sea monsters, but it was a different word than sea monsters. It was uh, <laughs> a, little, a little more radio-unfriendly. And then uh, I ended up getting fired from the Vikings after that year, and it was something that I felt was due to my activism on the topic of same-sex rights because my statistics had been pretty much exactly the same as my previous seven years with the team, and the only thing that had changed between those seven years and my last year was that I had started becoming vocal about this issue. And uh, then I wrote a second letter, essentially saying that my special teams coach was a homophobic bigot, and that my general manager and head coach were cowards for letting him fire me because of my stance on same-sex rights. And then that one went viral. Then we had a big old saga with uh, you know legal issues and, and independent investigations and stuff, and uh, then it finally concluded. And now you've come um, to a settlement, yes. Can, can you yeah, tell yeah, us about and, that? Yes, yeah, so we managed to reach a settlement where the Vikings will be donating quite a bit of money 
to uh, LGBTQ charities that will help out a lot of people who otherwise would not have gotten help. And um, for me, one of the main things was making sure that this wasn't just being swept under the rug. You know, it wasn't just like, here's a slap on the wrist for the special teams coach, and then we're going to pretend like it never happened. It was, you know, this is a very serious issue, and we need to treat it as such. And so that's, that's what the settlement does, is that the Vikings know that, hey, this is something that matters. This is something that's important to a lot of people. And it's not just the, the money to LGBTQ charities. They're also going to be doing a symposium next year, hopefully with a lot of very important figures in the sports world. We're, we're looking to get the, uh, the commissioners of the four major sports and um, really just kind of addressing the issue of LGBTQ rights in sports and saying, hey, okay, where are we at? Where do we need to go? What do we need to get done? And as I understand it, none of the settlement goes to you, right? Correct. I'm getting no money from the settlement. And well, I'm worried about you now, Chris. So what are you going to be up to? You are not punting currently for anyone. What are your plans in football? Are you going to write a book? What's up with you? I'm staying in shape, so um, if a team calls, I'll be ready, but I would be very surprised if a team called, uh, <laughs> even though I know there's quite a few teams out there that uh, could use a punter who knows how to punt. And um, you know, I, I looked at the stats this preseason, and I was like, yeah, that's um, you know, I could I could make probably about ten, eleven, twelve of those teams based on uh, preseason statistics. But you know, it's it, it's one of the unfortunate things about the NFL that the way they look at things is that if you're a punter and you speak out, then they're just going to find someone else. You know, no matter how good you happen to be. So I'm I'm just staying at home, uh, watching my kids, working on writing. I'm working on a couple of science fiction novels and also my my football memoirs. And uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully I'll be able to put out some books that people will find interesting and entertaining. Well, Chris, thank you so much for checking in with us. If you're ever all the way up here in L.A., we must have you sit down with us in the studio and have a real long, heart to heart interview about everything. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's something. You know, I, I feel that this is a very important issue, and it's it's something that. You know, people people shouldn't just look at it like, oh, well, you know, why can't why can't gay people just be quiet? Why can't they just go out and play? Because no, that that's not the case. Like, straight heterosexual men in the NFL are allowed to do things that that gay men are not allowed to do. You know, they're they're allowed to bring their significant others to games, whereas gay men in the NFL can't because they're worried about getting outed. And, well, and, and we are actually out of time, but I would be very remiss if I didn't just ask one last question. And my director was like waving at me going, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, Michael Sams was like the great gay hope of the NFL. And Saturday, things did not turn out well. Tell me, what do you think about his future? I think Michael Sam showed that he can play well enough to be on an NFL roster. He showed that he can play well enough to be on a practice squad roster at the very least. And uh, I think if he's not picked up on a practice squad roster, then it shows that we still have a lot of work to do in the NFL. You know, it can't just be a symbolic gesture that, okay, oh, we drafted this guy in the seventh round. It has to be he's getting a legitimate chance, and he's shown through his play that he deserves a legitimate chance in the NFL. Well, thank you, Chris Cluey. Still to come, the defendants in a controversial 2006 assault case explain what happened. Talk about jail and the role of color and sexuality and how that played out in their harsh sentencing. And we'll be talking to a couple of the stars from Old Dogs and New Tricks, the hit web series, and we'll be giving away copies of the DVD. We'll be right back. On This Day in History, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. September 1st, 1978, the gay Bob doll makes its debut in stores. Billed as the world's first gay doll for everyone, it was created in 1977 by former advertising executive Harvey Rosenberg. 
He described the anatomically correct doll as a cross between Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Just 12 inches tall, Gay Bob had frocked blonde hair and big blue eyes and was dressed in a flannel shirt, tight jeans, and cowboy boots. He also wore a neck chain, an earring, and an over-the-shoulder satchel bag. Gay Bob could literally come out of the closet since he was packaged in a closet box. Inside was also a catalog for ordering additional outfits. For its time, the Gay Bob doll caused quite a controversy. First sold by mail order, Gay Bob could be yours for $14.95 plus $1.50 for postage and handling. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Doug Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios of WRIR in Richmond, Virginia and read by volunteers like me, Tom Miller. Hi, I'm Chaz Bono and you're listening to IMRU Radio Magazine, out loud and proud since 1974. On KPFK-FM 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 93.7 San Diego, 99.5 Ridgecrest China Lake, and streaming online at kpfk.org. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio, and I'm Steve Pride. I'm Wenzel Jones, and the time is now 7.35. You know, Wenzel, sometimes I forget that despite being gay, I still root the benefits of both white and male privilege. But every once in a while... Guests share a story that really reminds me how easily the scales of justice can be tilted by misogyny and racism. What's the difference between a gathering of white heterosexual women and black lesbians? To the New York City police, it's pretty obvious that one is a group of friends. Perhaps they're even named Carrie, Samantha, Charlotte, and Miranda. And the others, the butch black ones, well, they're a gang. An aggressive and dangerous man-hating gang. Or as the press would later label them, a wolf pack. And a seething sapphic septet. That's why a Greenwich Village altercation in 2006 between a violent man and a group of seven young friends became a sensationalized national story. And why the women, who had never been a member of any gang, faced enhanced gang-related charges during their year-long trial. Police operator 1512. Yeah, we have an ambulance over here on uh, 6th Avenue and 3rd Street. The man's standing on the ground bleeding. Anonymous unverified. Officers fighting with gang. There's bloods and crips on street level. Police operator 1398. There's a, there's a gentleman that was stabbed on by one of the girls. Paula, are you the patient? No, man's got a story. He's stabbed. Okay, the patient's breathing. Yes. Awake. Is he awake? Hello? Hi, I'm Renata Hill. Hi, I'm Patrice Johnson. In our neighborhood, at that time, it wasn't really LGBT friendly. And we hanging out and we sitting on a stoop. And we don't know what's going to happen before the night is over with. But we know we wasn't ready to go in the house. So we like, you know what? Let's go to the city. None of us really had any money. We counting up change. As long as we had enough to get to the village, we're like, let's just go out there, see the lights. You don't really need money to go to the city. You just need money to get there, and that's it, and get back home. You know, you go out, you look at all the stores, and just our company with each other, we would have a ball. We don't need no extra people, no music. That's just how we are. We laugh all night long. That was our mission. Let's go to the city, hang out, go to the pier. You know, it's nothing but gay people. We're going to go out there and flirt and have fun and laugh and just chill. And we wasn't even in the city for a good 10 minutes, I don't think. 
we got like a couple of blocks from when we got off the train and was approached by this guy in just a real disrespectful way. I said we was young, we was full of life, we was full of laughter. We really didn't take it too serious at first. Like, okay, you know, nah, we're all gay. These are all my girlfriends. You know, and he's like, oh, you a bomb, this, that, and the third. You think you're a man. It just kind of escalated. And we're still laughing it off, like, whatever. You know, he's just mad because he can't pick up no girls. And I guess those were, like, soft spots. It was bruising his ego. When he said, let me get some of that, I didn't automatically think he was being disrespectful. I really just thought he was asking for one of my co-defendants' soda. So I'm like, you know, give him your soda, get another one. She's like, I'm not giving him my soda. And I'm like, just give it to him. He's like, well, I don't want that. And he pointed down at my crotch like, I want that. So I'm like, oh, no, you know, I'm a lesbian. I'm good, sir. And he was like, you a lesbian? So Renata was like, yes, these are all my girlfriends. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm just standing there watching him. He's like, oh, your girlfriends, you look like a man. And she's like, I ain't no man. And we all laughing, thinking he's joking. Like, nobody's thinking that he's serious. He got to be joking. So we tried to walk away like three times. The first time, we almost got hit by a garbage truck. Everybody jumped back up on the sidewalk. He's still talking to us. We tried to cross again and almost got hit by a whole bunch of cars. And, like, the third time... I just see a cigarette go over my shoulder and hit Renata. And then we turn around and he spits. He decided he wanted to take it a step further because we wasn't really responding the way he wanted us to. I guess initially we were supposed to start like being aggressive and we wasn't. So he spit in my face and threw a cigarette and he swung at me. I'm just standing there. And by the time I turned around, he had Renata on the ground choking her. And one of my co-defendants, she tried to pull Renata from up under him, and he reached up and he punched down her face. And the whole time, me and Terrain is just standing there like, oh, my God, like, this is really happening. Like, why is this happening? And everybody is trying to get him off of Renata, yet he's pulling Shanice here at the same time, still choking Renata. And I'm like, this guy is crazy. And then I turn around, and he's choking Venice. And once he starts choking Venice, she stops fighting him. Her face is starting to change colors, and she's trying to get him off her neck. So I went. And I went to go grab my knife, and I tried to cut his wrist to get him off her neck. And Renata is also trying to grab him to get her off him. He jumped on top of Renata, and he continued to choke Renata. At that time, I backed up. And my other co-defendants came in, and he's constantly trying to get him off of her, yet he's punching everybody or pulling their hair. And the fight just escalated. He pulled out one of my co-defendants' dress. He also pulled out Venice's hairpiece and swung it in the air and threw it at her. That night was just crazy. He was out for blood, basically. And I don't understand where we was females. You didn't really have to come at us like that. You didn't have to continue to come at us like that. We was just trying to defend each other. We wanted all of us to be away from him safely so that we can just keep going. Even at that time, our mind is still like, we would just want to go to the pier. We wasn't trying to, like, all right, this happened, we want to go home. No, we want to go to the pier. Let's go see some girls. Let's go hang out. We walked away from the incident. We went to McDonald's, which is literally across the street. We ordered something to eat. We're not trying to run. We're going to use the bathroom. We come out, and it's cops everywhere going up, coming down. And we're like, why is this happening? It wasn't that serious. We had a fight. We didn't think that he was really hurt because he was fighting somebody else when we walked away from the situation. Then we was like, you know what, let's just go home. Let's get back to the train station, let's go home. And they end up jumping out on us a block away from the train station. Our life was over at that point. Everything changed. They were a pack of lesbians who jumped this guy and, and almost killed him. He was attacked by a group of women yesterday in Manhattan. Police say the man made a comment, allegedly, to one of the women. 
he was attacked because he was a straight man. Just a real nasty gang assault. We didn't know how serious it was. Once they get us to the precinct, they held us there for over 24 hours, questioning us over and over again. Like, they just kept telling us if we did a statement, you guys could just get out of here. We just need you to write down what happened, write a statement. And at first we were like, nobody says nothing. Don't say anything. But after hours and hours and hours of them coming in there, questioning us or leaving us in there alone for hours with no water, no food, and not knowing what's going on, it's like, okay, I'll write down what happened. Because at the end of the day, we wasn't really scared to write down what happened because we all was telling the truth about what happened and nobody knew that this guy was injured. That was the main thing. Nobody knew that he was injured. I had no idea. So when they said to me, which one of you stabbed him? I laughed. I stabbed him. I'm like, yeah, right. I'm thinking about law and order, how they try to trick you to say something. And I'm like, yeah, right. Ain't nobody stabbed him. So now I'm thinking we playing around back and forth. And he's like, no, somebody already admitted to stabbing him. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Clearly, I had no idea what he was talking about. So they was like, write down a statement. Just write down the truth and we could go home. And I did. My statement was, we came to New York. We ran into this guy. He approached us. We had an argument. We got into a fight. We got arrested. That's my statement. That's what happened. And he got upset with that because he wanted to know exactly who played what role. But being honest with him, everything was happening so fast. I really don't know what was going on. Next thing I know, we got all these indictments. Assault in the first, assault in the second, assault in the third, gang assault in the first, gang assault in the second, attempted murder. I'm leaving out three, but I think it was a total of like seven or eight charges. And I would assume the DA got on board and she the one that went forward with giving us all these charges. We went to trial, even though we was offered six months, five years probation. We figured that everything was in our favor, even the surveillance. We were backing away from him and he's coming towards us. He's taunting us. That's how it went down. So we felt like we had a fair fight because everything was out there. We went to trial, we fought it, and um, once we were found guilty, we was like, okay, we're going to get a little bit of time, not that much. When we got sentenced, it was just unbelievable. I was in shock. My sentence was eight years. Mine was 11. I was released from prison August 13, 2013. It's really scary to know that you can't defend yourself. It's against the law to defend yourself, and that's basically what they were saying to us. We shouldn't have fought back. They actually tried to say we was heterophobic. We hate men, and that bothered me. How can you say we hate men? You didn't even ask us just because one guy. You, they made it seem like they had a history of us hating men to say that statement and that bothered me because I grew up with men. Like, that's all I have is brothers and male cousins. I only have one sister. And that was the only really female that was around, you know, other than the friends that I grew up with that was females. As far as my family is concerned, like, my dad is my best friend. How can you sit here and say, I hate men? How can you sit here and say any of that? We relive in that day over and over again with every step forward we try to make. We have to explain what happened. Even if we're given that opportunity to explain, when you go look for a job and you have to check, yes, I have a felony, 
and the person that's reviewing the application, if there's somebody that don't know you and you have to write it out, because it's not so bad as checking, yes, I have a felony, but then writing down what the felony is and you mm-hmm. have to write out gang assault, it's like you're not going to go in Macy's and put, yeah, gang assault, and they're going to say, yeah, welcome. You're going to be the greeter at the front door. You know, it's automatically no brano, no chances. Three of the original seven women accepted the plea deal. And of the four sentenced by the all-white jury, two later had their convictions overturned. This has been a conversation with Patrice Johnson and Renata Hill, who were not so lucky. A documentary about their ordeal called Out in the Night is making the rounds of film festivals across the USA. Find more information online at outinthenight.com. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. She comes home in the morning light Her mother says when you're gonna live your life right Oh mother dear, you're not the fortunate ones And girls, they wanna have fun Oh those girls, just wanna I swear, I think 80% of what I hear in this day and age makes me shake my hand and think, how is that even possible? There were so many things that happened during that trial. They had a public defender. They couldn't afford a lawyer. And there were so many misrepresentations. The the, the stabbing of the guy was a, a tiny puncture wound. But when he was in the hospital, he had a major repa- hernia repair that left a huge scar. And the scar was actually the picture that was shown to the jury. Like she'd gutted him. It was a tiny puncture from a tiny knife. Well, let's change the mood in the room, (laughs) shall we? Yeah, now, guys. I've got got a barrel of fun here. From the hit series, hit miniseries, not (laughs) miniseries, web series, (laughs) Old Dogs and New Tricks, we have the writer and star, Leon Acord. Welcome. Thank you. And his delicious nemesis, Bruce Hart. Hello. And Leon... Can you tell us what this show is about? Because, I mean, basically, you could just say, well, it's about a group of gay men turning 50, but it's a little richer than that. No, you covered it. That's about it. Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God we're done. Well, between 40 and 50. It's, well, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of uh, stresses, you know, them being middle-aged, living in a place like WeHo, where uh, the emphasis is not on the... Um, the older and educated and trying to remain vital and relevant and both in their love lives and their work lives. Well, before Winslow gets into all this deep and probing (laughs) sort of actor studios questions. Oh, good. I have to ask what I think is obvious having just seen the web series today. Uh Uh, You play someone who is actually turning 50 at the beginning of the series. Uh And you're obviously... 19, 20 years old. <laughs> so my question is, is that special effects? Is it makeup that takes hours to get ready for? Or is it just method acting so extraordinary that we can't conceive of it here in Hollywood? No one's going to tell their beauty secrets. Oh, my Please. God. Where have you been all my life? I'm actually 51. Oh, my gosh. But do, do actually, though, when we shot the pilot, I was 47. and So I've been 50 for about five years now <laughs> in my head. So it's kind of been a nice, easy adjustment to make. Now, I was wondering when I watched this show, are gay men sort of where women used to be in the 70s when it was considered, oh, 40 is old? And it's like, and now women embrace their sexuality as they get older, and they've got Jane Fonda running around saying, I 
<laughs> it's great being 70. But as gay men, don't we still seem to be stuck in that, oh, man, I am so over the hill. I'm 40, I'm I think I'm with the advent of social media, sorry to interrupt you, I think we run into that a little bit. You know, we run into uh, youngsters that are, you know, going to marginalize us if we're on a dating site, for example, if, if you're over a certain age. Most of the people that I know that are 50-plus lie about their age mm. because it's just easier. 40 actually sounds better than 50. And if you can get away with 39, that's even better. <laughs> Me, I don't care. I mean, I, I'm pretty out there. I'll, you know, I'll tell people how old I am because it just, you know, I'm proud of it. I'm here. I survived the 70s, right, and the 80s, for Christ's sake. Well, and it's so hard to lie about your age with social media. It too. is. Yeah. Once your age is IMDb, out there anyway. it's there, and it's it's public record. I think it's changing. I mean, I'm, we have guys on our like David Pevsner, I believe, is 55, and mm. he's in great shape. Yeah. Amazing shape. And um, Jeffrey Patrick Olson is early to mid-40s. and Godlike in his beauty. Mm. You know. Mm. Um, I think it, it it's... Changing, but like anything, you know, it takes a while. You know, you it has to go all the way before people even start to notice. Oh, something's different. It is a real treat, though, as an actor of a certain age, to be on a show where the storylines are about us. Because when you go out there as an actor of a certain age and audition for other projects, oftentimes the roles for somebody forty or fifty plus are small, and the major roles mm -hmm. are the younger actors. So you end up saying things like, "Hi, kids, phones for you. What are you up to tonight?" <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, the casting notice really looking for the forty-year-old to play grandfather. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now, you, you, have, you have assembled rather an amazing cast. Yes. And this is just by way of introduction so we can ask Bruce, so what's it like kissing Greg Luganis? <laughs> oh, oh, I've got to just tell you. Do you remember when Bobby Brady kissed Melissa Sue Anderson on the Brady Bunch and there were fireworks? Who could forget? <laughs> it was just like that. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's a great kisser and a very, very nice man. He is now, very nice. Now, how do you assemble? Because you've got, um, in addition to Greg Luganis, you've got Mo Gaffney coming up in mm -hmm. season three. Yeah. And you've who's got been Ian, on our show? Who's been on this show? Isn't got, she great? She's oh delightful. And you've got Ian, Ian Buchanan on mm, the show, yeah. who's terrific. Uh, we have uh, um, for Mommy Dearest or Tanya Otto. Yeah, Alda, I mean, how, who do played you, Carol how do you amass these people? You know, I don't deal with agents. That's the first secret. Do not, because you know, you call an agent and they hear web series and they don't see dollar signs in their eyes and they hang up. I just, a lot of it has been Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, Britannia actually did a um, show in San Francisco at the Castro that a friend of mine, Matthew Martin, emceed. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of, you know, who do you know or or friends of friends. Is I, that the, that one-woman show about what it was like to be on Mommy Dearest? Is it that show that she's doing? No, they were doing a yeah. uh, tribute to Mommy Dearest, and she came and just gave like a little talk at the beginning. She I kind of saw that on YouTube. That was hilarious. She's, she's so, you know, oh, most people her. in Hollywood yeah. won't yeah. say and a bad thing about anyone. She no. asked her about Mommy Dearest. I mean, we spent all day with <laughs> oh her on set. Like, tell us more. Tell us more. I have Ooh. to do your excitement, though. We do have some DVDs. We do. We have That's two right. DVD sets of seasons one and two to give away. That's so right. if you'd like mm -hmm. to grab one of these, call 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. So bad to you. So your season three now is almost done. Yeah, we're working on the episodes now, piecing yep. them together, and we'll be going uh, coming out this fall, probably November. Now, what's the shooting schedule like for web series as opposed to, say, anything uh, else? Is it? Yeah, um, like a conventional series. Like I don't know about the you know cable shows now with thirteen episodes, but mm -hmm. like twenty-two episodes, they'll start. 
the season starts airing while they're still in production. We actually shoot ours kind of like a movie. Right. Uh, at it's, one time before the first episode ever even goes on, we're done. The set is actually run very much like a well-run movie set, though. And, you know, I do a lot of other stuff. Mm. So I always look forward to working on the old dog set just because it's super professional. We follow all the SAG rules and all of that. So You know, what I was watching, the thing that struck me the most is that there's so many opportunities to have a Winslow Jones-type character. <laughs> oh, I've been thinking oh, of Steve, this. I have, things. you know... <laughs> Since Winslow and I did the play together this summer, I've been thinking of nothing else but how to get Winslow on the And a reminder, you can get a DVD. We have a couple copies. If you call right now, 818-985-5735. The DVD also has about uh, 20 minutes of bloopers and a 30-minute oh, uh, wow. featurette yes. with interviews of all the cast and behind-the-scenes footage. And Now, Bruce, I was wondering, how much fun are you having playing the nemesis? Because that's usually the most fun part in any show. Oh, I'm just not having any fun at all. <laughs> no, I love it. Oh, my God. such a bore. Seriously, though, it's the first time I've gotten to play a character like that because I almost always play neurotic characters or nice characters or the one who kills himself like I did in the movie Saltwater. And so when Leon offered me this, this role, I'm like, oh, can I do it? I'm like, yes, I want to do it. And, you know, it's like being let loose. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's, now where can people see this? They can see it at www.olddogsnewtricktheseries.com, and we have all sorts of links on our homepage. It'll take you to Wolf Video if you want the DVD, to Hulu to watch it there for free. So you're covered. And you've got a Facebook page. and Facebook yeah. page, uh, uh, Old Dogs the Series, and on Twitter we're O-D-N-T the Series. Well, see, you thought this 10 minutes was going to last forever. It's and over. I'm to tell you, it's oh, already no. done. Oh, my It's God. already done, but thank you so much for coming oh, out thank to you. visit us. Thanks for having <laughs> us. This was fun. It was great fun seeing you again. What? And, and I saw it just today, and I love the series. Thank you. So, uh, Thank you. I'm really excited about the next season. Cool. Unfortunately, that's the end of our ride. Gather your personal courage, take Tim Perlicos by the hand, and exit to the far left of the trans forward motion. Our thanks to tonight's director, Miss Barbecue, coordinating producer Steve Pride, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. And a shout-out to Michelle Marie, who is at home sick. Oh, poor. And she's such a brilliant director. And to Chris-Anne. Chris-Anne Eastwood, Chris who went through a family wedding this weekend and is... Snackered, as recovering. They say. recovering. I think it's knackered. Wait, knackered? <laughs> snackered is something else. And most Doritos. Uh, if you have comments or story suggestions, tweet us or fa- tweet us or follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio or contact us directly via email at IMRU Radio at IMRU Radio.com. IMRU is simulcast and available on demand at kpfk.org. It's also posted to the IMRU Radio Facebook page by noon every Tuesday. We close with I've Grown Accustomed to Her Face from the 1959 musical My Fair Lady, which I know what you're saying. That's not really a gay song, but you know what it is when it's performed by the legendary Marlena Dietrich. Ooh, good night. Good night. I was serenely independent and content before we met Surely I can always be that way again And yet I've grown accustomed to her looks Accustomed to her voice Accustomed to Accustomed to her face 
He almost makes the day begin I've grown accustomed to the tune She whistles night and noon Her smiles, her frowns, her ups, her downs Are second nature to me now Like breathing out and breathing in I was serenely independent and content before we met Surely I can always be that way again And yet I've grown accustomed to her looks Accustomed to her voice Accustomed to her face I've got used to hear her say Good morning every day Her joys, her woes, her highs, her lows Are second nature to me now Like breathing out and breathing in I'm very grateful she's a woman And so easy to forget Rather like a habit you can always break And yet I've grown accustomed to the trace of something in the air, accustomed to 